So they start locking me in my room at 10 years old as punishment. And I pretty much spent three years in solitary confinement living at my dad's house. Hello and welcome to another episode of Bunny Hugs and Mental Health Podcast, a free safe space for people to share and learn from others' experiences with mental health and addictions. I'm Todd Rennebaum, suicide attempt survivor and a recovering substance abuser and user. Hey, thanks for tuning in to another program. Uh, this week I'm speaking with Brad Keck and uh, we, we go way back. We were in high school together for just a couple years. Uh, so now I, I, I'm from a, I'm going to set it up a little bit. I'm, I'm from a small town called Indian Head, Saskatchewan. And growing up here in Indian Head, we had a place called the Orange Home. Uh, and there was also the Orange Home Farm. And basically they were ran by um, the Orangemen, which I think is some kind of religious group. Don't really know. And it was a group home for, for, for kids. Uh, and it was kind of like, instead of going to a foster home, you'd, you'd come to this place and it was a big group home for, for kids that couldn't live with their parents anymore or whatever. So for whatever reason, uh, my parents worked there at one point and I went all through school with all types of kids that were in the orange home. And at the time I never really thought too much about these people's lives outside of Indian head and the orange home. Uh, Brad and I reconnected just recently and, uh, I was like, well, so what, what was your life like not in the orange home like and uh he's had uh, a pretty epic tale so he's telling his story today uh there's lots of uh, um abuse and stuff he's dealt with addictions after high school and stuff so um yeah he's gonna tell his story and and how he's he's battled through some of these issues and mental health issues and and trauma and ptsd and things so uh thank you brad for this and for sharing your story uh, before Brad tells his story, uh, I just want to tell everyone that Buddy Hugs and Mental Health is now on YouTube, or if if it isn't, it's 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 on its way. So if you check it in, there's like some, I have a couple videos on there, but nothing really much. But uh, if you go there and there's no interviews or anything yet, it, it's coming very, very soon. I'm trying over the next few days to get it up uh, and to get stuff on there, but I've never done it really before. So if, if there's a problem, you know, just keep checking in on it because I've got lots of videos to, to go up on there. So uh, I'm very excited for that. Uh, I'm excited because there's going to be episodes from like a year and a half ago that are going up on there and there's going to be ones, brand new ones with better quality audio and video and stuff. And it's going to be, it's going to be great. It's going to be a new regular thing. So, so you can subscribe to that as well. Bunny hugs and mental health on YouTube. Uh, but anyway, Let's get to the episode. Uh, without further ado, I give you Brad Keck. Yeah. Okay. Right. What happened? What happened with my with my mom and my dad is that when that relationship failed, um, they were twenty two or twenty three, and I don't know if my mom had the capacity to understand how deep of a situation she was in having a child. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so I think she secretly resented me for having me. Okay. For the rest of her life when her relationship and my dad's relationship failed. Mm 
So that relationship failed because of extreme violent abuse. On your like, dad's part? To, the, to the point where my dad was beating my mom regularly till she was unidentifiable. And it wasn't just him. It was the fucking neighbor. It was the other neighbor. They were all beating their, their families. The neighbor girl, Holly, she must've only been four feet tall. And he, her husband was a firefighter and he threw her right through the door. Like, and she had to go to the hospital. She was my babysitter. Was this in Regina? This was in Regina. Yeah. This is, this is fucking insane. This is just the first few, two years of my life. Right. And like my most vivid memory is of being a child is the holes in the walls at my parents' house. And my mom said that we left before I was two. So I can still vividly remember how many holes there were in the walls all the time. And um, so they broke up. And then basically she had to take on the task of, of being my mother alone. And um, my mom had her own problems. You know what I mean? Like she had been molested by my uncle. You know what I mean? And my grandma punished her and my aunt rather than my uncle you know, which is, but that's what happened to my grandma. Okay. And my great grandma was worse. Like my great grandma beat my grandma for coming forth and telling her that, that, that my grandma's brother who had fled the war in the U S had come up and was staying with them. And then he was molesting my grandmother and my two great aunts, you know, but my great grandma just beat them. She just beat them solid. You know what I mean? So you can see that it comes from just like a, a root of evil, more or less. And so she had all these chips on her shoulder long before she decided, I'm going to take on a, a, a husband and a child. And it was probably just suited that she was going to look for this kind of guy because she had had so many traumas herself, you know, I mean, now that I'm 40 some years old, I understand that because I've learned that about people anyways. But so then after my parents, um, broke up, but it's not like that. What happened is that my, my dad's sister hadn't heard from my mom in like a few days and she knew something was up. Right. So she calls up my auntie Dorothy, my dad's oldest sister, and says, we got to go check on Bernice. And then they cruise. Yeah, my mom. And then they, so they cruise down to the house late, late at night and have a, a door key. And they come in and my mom is huddled in my room in the closet and She's fucking unidentifiable. And then they have to pet my stuff and cut her stuff and say, we got to get out of here right now. (sighs) 
Are you okay? Talk about this shit. We don't have to, man. Oh, it's all right, man. So then they had to, they, they got my mom out of there, you know? And then <clears throat> she was able to like the court got involved and the police and stuff. And my dad had restraining orders and stuff. So it was, it was beginning to look like a, it was, she was going to go and get to a positive, better place. So, um, she got a job, man. You know what I mean? At this good place as a secretary, like my mom was smoking. You know what I mean? She had big guns, <laughs> you know, <laughs> ready blonde hair, a farm girl curves, you know, like, um, yeah. So then, so then she's working, you know what I mean? So then, and, uh, but in that time she, uh, gets this apartment but she can't send me to a babysitter or something. So she's fucking leaving me at home by myself for eight hours a day, locked in the apartment for like a year or more. And how old were you then? What's that? How old were you at this point? Like we're talking about, this was when I was about three. So I could talk and and that kind of stuff. And you know what I mean? I, I was mastering my environment. I could use the potty all that kind of stuff. And if the TV, like you just had to turn the dial to change the channel on the TV. <laughs> right. We're that old. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Yeah, dude. Eight track. Do you know that word? <laughs> oh, fuck. Yeah. I'd want in <laughs> so, a car. Oh, right on. Yeah, man. I even bought the adapter so I could put the cassettes in afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, then, uh, from there, my aunt, my mom's sister, um, noticed something was going on with me. Like my behavior was starting to change. You know what I mean? Like I'm becoming clingier and kind of like, you know how I'm hyperactive. It's just like really starting to like go into nth degree at this point at three years old. And then the people in the building start reporting her for leaving me there. And so finally she puts me into a daycare, um, which I remember this daycare. Clearly I met two of my lifelong friends, uh, Mark and Megan Penno there. And I still know them to this day. Um, anyways, um, so I'm at this daycare for, for a while. And in that time, she had gotten this pretty good job as a secretary. She's making okay money. Things are looking up and she's starting to manage her own life. Do you know what I mean? And take control of the bull by the horns and maybe establish herself as a woman and a person and an individual that is not reliant on a man to identify herself. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. like she can own a fucking house. She can own a fucking car. You know, what's, what's wrong with that? You know, mm-hmm. but that's, she wasn't raised in those times. And you always have to remember that. And then, so then along comes fucking Kenny, you know what I mean? My stepdad and Ken is a fucking warped individual. Okay. Like, he 
he is like almost 10 years older than my mom and she is not very understanding of smart people you know and so easily he's manipulating her right from because she's naive that's right but he's he's manipulating her right from the beginning and and you i knew it right away that he trying to convince her because he had left his wife and his kid in in tisdale or nippon and he never wanted to see them again so now he met my mom and he's like oh she's hot i want to go and you know she's 25 or whatever and i'm gonna go hang out with this 25 year old broad and he's 35 right he just wanted to diddle your mom and get you out of the picture somehow bingo you know what i mean yeah and but in in amongst this time i think ken realized how intelligent i was and then that turned on a whole different twisted part of his brain do you understand but my mom couldn't figure that out you know and so no matter what things that he was doing to me and how i could explain it to her and say listen this is why he's doing that she would always be like oh he would never do that you know like just this like televised response you know and it it was it was fucking insane do you think she believed that or she was just trying to convince herself of it. I think she was just trying to convince herself of it because she's not that, not that out of it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. but in this whole time, he's always gaslighting her about that. I'm a problem, you know, and he's, and, but what he does is he does mental things to me that causes me to behave in a way. And then he goes, look at how mental it is. Oh, let's send him to a psychiatrist now. Oh, let's try this. Oh, let's try this. Like he's just got my mom in this frenzy of idiocracy that she cannot escape it. It's if if you could imagine some kind of like television novella dynamic with the wicked stepdad who has been spending a lifetime to manipulate the child to make him a murderer. That is kind of like you could say that Ken did every kind of thing like that. And my mom was absolutely oblivious to it. No matter if my, if my aunt, like her sister would tell her, this is what's happening. My dad's sister would tell her, this is what's happening. My dad's parents came to her and said, Bernice, this is what's happening. He's not bad. It's what he, when he comes here and tells us about Ken, you, you don't even understand what Ken's doing to him is evil and and i'm going there telling them honestly because i trust them i feel comfortable with my grandparents or my aunties you know mm-hmm. and but she can't listen to anything objective she can just keep doing what he says so then he would be like oh i, I can't live with him like what i can't live with him so then at fucking five years old guess where they send me to live my dad's Uh, my biological dad who had just been two years before beating my mom unidentifiable and ken convinces her yeah no that's gonna be good 
So he you basically know? gave your mom an ultimatum. It's it's your five year old son or me. This this is the first ultimatum. Just you wait. We're not- she chooses that and sends me to my dad's, and lo and behold, he just starts fucking beating me right away. You know what I mean? And after about a year, my whole family is screaming at her, go fucking get him, you know, because he's beating him every day. And so finally, Ken and my mom show up one day and Ken's trying to act all fucking macho like he's being the hero to come get me this day, right? And my mom's all swooning over this. they, They pick me up. I leave, we move into this house in the Northwest end of Regina. So now it's grade two. My, I have to walk home from eight city blocks or more at seven years old. And I have to go inside and make all my own lunch and all this kind of shit. Like Ken won't allow my mom to be there to parent me, even though they have free time. Like, by this time, Ken has made up this fucking scam business. Like my mom could be coming home for lunch and, 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 and giving me lunch and spending time with me, important time, but he won't allow it. Do you know what I mean? And he, he tries to size it as, Oh, I need you here. Oh, you got, I gotta help me. Oh, you're my partner, all this kind of stuff. And my mom just eats it up every time. I don't know. Eventually I'm not getting along with him, you know, but it's because he's what he's doing to me. So then my mom decides, okay, we're going to send him somewhere else again. So I get, I just get through grade three. And meanwhile, while I was in grade three, my teachers are starting to raise alarm bells with them, my mom, with Ken and my mom. So I think part of getting rid of me in grade three too, is because the school is starting to call. And they're starting to question my mom and she's questioning Ken and he doesn't like that. So now Bradley's got to go again because, you know, people, other people see the blatant abuse, but she doesn't, you know? So then I go and move out to Radville and live with my mom's sister for a while. But guess what? Okay. There it's the eighties. They're not doing very well financially. And they have three girls, my cousins, and like my mom is supposed to be giving them her child tax, but she's keeping that money, you know, and my aunt literally cannot afford to raise me as well, you know? So it's like three quarters the way through grade four, I get ripped out of school, sent back to Regina, put back into school there and so now I'm back living in their other house again, but it's grade four or five. And it's just more of Ken's mental bullshit. So Kelly is my stepbrother, which is Ken's biological son. And we pick Kelly up and that's it, man. And he comes to the city. But lo and behold, I did not know that was going to be a changing game. Of course, it was going to be a new changing game, right? Because now... Ken needs to appear as the hero, even though he didn't want him. Fuck. So Ken didn't so, want Kelly either. No, no. Right, right, right. He just wanted to be with your mom. Yes. Okay. Yes. And go around and look like a hotshot. You know, that's his thing. So 
So now Kelly moves in. They take my bed. Okay. I had a nice queen size water bed and they give it to Kelly mm. and they give, they give Kelly the, the room that was going to be the living room downstairs. They give that to him as his room. Mm. They give him this huge, my, my bed that I've been sleeping on for my life. They give it to him. I had just got a, a mini, a small color TV for Christmas that year. It was my gift. I got that for Christmas. They gave it to Kelly. How old were you? And then 10. Okay. Uh, this is grade, grade four or five. So grade five. Okay. And so they give all of my belongings to him. <sighs> and then, um, and then there was this room that was supposed to be an office downstairs to just like fit a desk. They buy um a single bed and put it in there and i can barely like walk into the room it's like a jail cell and, it, and it's a shitty mattress it hurts so bad it's just it's 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 maniacal when you think about it from the overview and you and you got to keep in mind that my mom at this point is like 33 but ken is 43 okay you think Ken doesn't know what the imagery looks like? He absolutely knows what the imagery looks like, and he's producing it for his own mental amusement. And he's been doing this to me my whole life by now. And I'm, you know, I'm mentally starting to be disrupted by all of this. So then they're having a fight one night and over me, again but ken would create the fight and he would gaslighter like i'm doing something that's so out of proportion that is you've got to get rid of him so he has this fight in front of me he orchestrates it in front of me and he's like bernice you gotta choose right now it's me or him and right the actual ultimatum in, in front mom. of me and she says well, I choose you. And he's like, well, then you got to call up his dad and get him fucking picked up from here tomorrow. That's at 10 years old, man. That's what's I, happening to Bradley Keck at 10 years yeah. old. That's been rejection. The just absolute rejection. And that let me know that the person who gave birth to me doesn't want me at all. Have you, so then, have you talked to professionals about all this shit? Because, I mean, it's obviously, I mean, I could see it that it's still. It's hard. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of resentment, a lot of. So more than resentment, I mean, it, you're still taking it personally. I have real problems, Todd. I, 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 I think of, yeah. I think of terrifying things, man. Are you still I, seeing somebody? I'm trying to move. I'm trying to move as far away as I can from here. So much distance that I could never think of anything again. We're saving our money right now to move to Europe. And my daughter is learning French and we're going to get the hell out of here and live somewhere where I feel happy for the rest of my life. <laughs> but <laughs> that's a good I plan. Mean, 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, it's all right. I know. I know. I have to You're not also fixing anything. <laughs> with, I have to deal with my demons too. Um, the yeah. So what happened then after that? So the very next day, you know who picks me up? Your dad. My dad. And my dad is not pleased about the way this is gone down. Like she didn't ask him if he could take me at the end of the year or whatever. She's calling him up, telling him, you got to switch the schools. You got to do all this and all this. And my dad doesn't like doing any of that. You're just, and he's not going to like go home and grumble to himself over it. He's going to come pick me up and then beat the shit out of me because I'm to blame for all of it, you know? And then that's how that started me living with him again was a good old fucking baiting, you know? And then, so then I move out to this small town, Grand Coulee and where I live with him for the next three years. And it was just an absolute fucking nightmare. Like, like the town is like full of cops and shit, which is ironic, but nobody would ever be interested in anybody else's business, you know? So in that time, him and my stepmom, they had two kids. So this is just a whole new effed up dynamic. So I, I move out there. Basically they use me like as a slave. You know what I mean? I'm like 10 years old and my dad's got me out there running a rototiller, rototilling the whole yard three times in a row, like a quarter acre corner lot, rototill it three times in a row, bring some more manure, bring that, keep rototilling it in. I want it to be good. You know, instead of playing, making friends in the town, something doing things that kids should be doing to develop emotionally and, and socially. No, this is what I'm doing. And he doesn't care because he hates me too, you know? And now that he, my dad is different. Like my dad had brain damage from severe car accidents. Right. So it, the whole front of his brain is damaged, severely damaged. <laughs> his ability to feel empathy and emotion and all that kind of stuff are just zero. You know, he, he, he was three times from doing quarter mile races. He was unidentifiable from an accident three different times. One time they didn't find him until five days later, he was laying in the field. The fireman was picking up the pieces way out in the field and he heard moaning and they found my dad the fuck yeah oh yeah yeah and before those you were happened. born yeah those all happened before he met my mom too oh, so he okay. he had he had a lot of things going on that were starting to go wrong in his head and i don't mm-hmm. think he knew it either yet mm-hmm. so and my like so because when you hear my family describe what he used to be like before he started racing cars and all that He used to be very docile, but then all of a sudden he started getting more and more hostile. So I don't know. The two may be related. It might just be a social problem. You know, he was like five feet tall. (laughs) 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 You know, (laughs) 
Yeah, I'm picking up what you're laying down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Little bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you when he met me when I was 18, he was like, oh, boy. <laughs> I scared the absolute shit out of him. <laughs> you little puss. Let's I'm the now. captain now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the captain. <laughs> Give me that. Where's your wallet? Yeah, it's mine now. Um, yeah. So, anyways, um, so during that time uh with him there, what happened was like it just got like increasingly more like concentration camp kind of shit. Do you know what I mean? Like probably knew that, um, this is your stepmother. Yeah. My stepmother, she probably knew that if any of this got out to real people, that there would be a problem. Do you know what I mean? Right. And so like, she's, she seems like she's trying to keep her wraps on it. And, even one time I have a conversation with her and I'm like, my dad used to abuse my mom. And she's like, that's just a story. She's like, those are lies. She's like, I talked to your dad about that. That's just a lie. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's real. You know? And this is, this is at about grade five. Okay. And then by grade six, she can see that things are getting worse. Like he's putting me in, uh, you know, ball, you know, but he was in ball, you know what I mean? So mm. now, now what a mistake. I should have played fucking badminton or something. <laughs> <laughs> so he expects me to be an all-star player. And if I ever have a strikeout or miss a ball or something, he like straight up beats me right fucking there at the thing in front of parents and students and friends. Yikes. It's so unbelievably humiliating and it's just destroying me inside. And then I go home and what they've decided to do is that um, doesn't want my dad to beat me anymore. So she comes up with this thing. Well, what did they do to punish you when you were at your aunt Kathy's, which is my mom's sister? And I said, well, they would just lock us in our room for a while. And so then their solution is you've done one household infraction. You're locked in your room for two fucking months. Pardon? So, yeah. So they start locking me in my room, solitary confinement at 10 years old as punishment. And I pretty much spent three years in solitary confinement, living at my dad's house with him beating me off and on, forcing me to do chores. So my 10, 11, 12 year old life was all that. Mm. And nobody did anything. Nobody ever said anything. Oh, I just, I just can't take that anymore. So I decided I'm going to fucking run away. So I run away to um i i'm in grand coulee i i walk to regina so i start walking and in the time that i'm walking i hitchhiked a ride with these two drunk guys that were trying to get to the number one highway out of the city without getting busted <laughs> so then they dropped me on the number one 
which I walked all the way to the way scale towards Regina. And then this trucker family, they actually were with their grandkids. I just told them that my motorcycle broke down my dirt bike and then I couldn't get back to the city. And they gave me a ride to the city where they dropped me off at a gas station where there was two guys, young guys talking. And I was like, yeah, well, I'm just looking for a ride over by Cochrane school. And the one guy's like, I could give you a ride over there. So I got a ride over there. So then I go and I knock on the door to find, to hope that I get to my mom's house and I'm hoping that my mom is there. And it turns out my grandma bluer who is my mom's mom is there looking after my brother and sister because her and ken are off in vegas and so then the reason i had run away is because my dad it was grade seven and my dad had decided to take his holidays early and he had just been like kicking the shit out of me solid for like a week and he had decided, I'm moving your room downstairs. But there is no room downstairs. You know what it was? It There was a fucking pile of clothes in a, in a we had framed up where a bedroom would be. And he says, you're going to sleep in there from now on. But I have no bed, no bedding, nothing. So for seven days, I'm, when I'm doing my, my finals for grade um, seven, or for five days while I'm doing my finals for grade seven, I'm sleeping in the basement by the washing machine with like timber around me in a pile of clothes and having a bunch of clothes that I stuffed into a pillowcase to use for a pillowcase. And I'm supposed to be graduating grade seven and taking my finals during all this happening to me. And I just, at the end of it, I'd take, I just was like, I had too much. And so that's when I ran away. And then I ran away to just find my grandma there to solve my mom's fucking problems. So I, I were you actually, was it better that your grandma was there and not your mom? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Fuck yeah, man. Yeah. Don't let me kid you about that. I love my grandma blur. My grandma blur is still alive, brah. (laughs) That's right, baby. So she was there and, and, um, she took me in for sure. And she called uh, some people and she made it pretty much clear to my aunt. So she called my dad's sister, my aunt Val, and he, she made it clear that, you know, he, I don't think he's going back. You know what I mean? Hmm. And so then everybody's trying to figure out what to do with Bradley again. You know what I mean? Like I'm garbage. I'm some kinds of trash that nobody feels ownership to that i'm not a human being that needs a concrete house life lessons important kind words to develop into something wonderful i haven't had any of that man in my life ever the only times those words came from they were from my grandma and grandpa bluer or my grandma and grandpa keck but other than that there was nobody to provide me with that kind of thing growing up so that's why you know, I had an absolute need for attention, you know, and that's why I was so hyperactive is because I just wanted people to like me and I just wanted to have friends, man. 
Today's episode of Bunny Hugs and Mental Health is brought to you by Co-op. I've been a member of my local co-op, Sherwood Co-op, for, oh, about 25 years, I think. My co-op is one of more than 150 local independent cooperative associations in more than 600 communities across Western Canada. Co-op is a different kind of business. It's not just a gas bar or a grocery store, although co-op is those things too. At its core, Co-op is a group of people working together to help their neighbors and build their community. Co-op members are owners and success is shared with everyone. Your co-op doesn't benefit one person or one corporation. Your co-op was built for everyone. Your co-op was built for your community. Learn more about co-op and find a location near you at coop.crs. One thing I've learned through my experience with mental health and addictions is you never know what you need to hear until you hear it. Make sure to rate and review on Apple and to tell as many people as you can about the podcast so others can hear something they need to hear from one of my guests. After all, this is a free mental health service, which is a rare thing. So why not share with as many people as you can? So then uh, here comes grade eight. So then my aunt, my dad's sister says, okay, I'll take him. And my dad is like, oh, okay, I'll give you his child tax. Well, guess what? He don't give her that fucking money because he don't care about me. And, you know, it's still the early 90s and everybody's still pretty broke. And my aunt has two boys, my cousins, and that's hard for them to survive. So then eventually I get through grade eight and then I move back in with my mom and Ken. Yeah. You know, for, for grade nine, dun dun dun. Hey, I'm almost at grade ten. Indian <laughs> head, here we come. <laughs> so then, uh, what happens is I, um, I go through grade nine there, but while I'm going to grade nine, I'm like shit's weird in our house, and like. Fucking Ken is always sleeping in the bed with my brother and sister. Always. And I'm not okay with that. And I'm ta- I keep bringing it up to my mom. I'm saying, what's happening here? And the rest of my family is saying, what's happening here, Bradley? You know, and my mom's family expects me to fight her. Do you know what I mean? On behalf of all my siblings. Mm-hmm. Because they're good, wholesome you know, country fucking people, you know what I mean? And that's what they expect. So the brother and and sister that he's sleeping in the bed with. So he had another girl and boy with my mom. Gotcha. Right. So, and now, so I'm like, what the fuck is happening? And one morning I get up and I'm getting ready for school and he's fucking in the bed with my sister and his goddamn hand is over her pelvis. You know, this is not right. And I go and tell my mom and she fucking won't listen. And then lo and behold, there's some, some invented fight is on the rise because Ken knows he's been caught because she brought it up to him. Mm. So now fucking, I'm downstairs one day, like doing nothing with my cousins and we're just playing some games and my 
is supposed to be going to bed because it's his first day of kindergarten and it's like 10 o'clock and my mom's been yelling at him to go to bed and he's still downstairs. And I'm like, you gotta go to bed. And he goes upstairs crying to Ken. And then my mom is flipping out that, that he won't go to bed. And then she comes down and then she's screaming about, at me about this old VCR I took apart that wouldn't work. And then Ken starts coming down, like, yeah, this VCR, and blah, 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 we can't have this. You gotta get out. You know, in front of my two fucking cousins and shit. It's just this big theatrical performance. But he's, the thing is, is he's trying to convince everybody. He's gaslighting everybody. He's trying to convince everybody, this is why he's gotta go. That's not why he knows why he's thinking that because he's been caught being a pervert with my fucking brother and sister. Mm -hmm. And so again, she believes this invented reality. And so then they fucking call up my grandma and grandpa Keck and they fucking say, okay, here now he's coming over there. Now these two 70 year old people are going to raise fucking their son their son who's a fucking tyrant who who is who's traded on my keck family for since time immortal well since his accidents and and now but they are like now we're gonna send his son there and you're gonna raise him for those tyrannical high school years and oh it's just nuts you know, and then so then I'm there and I register at Sheldon and life is peaceful and I'm happy living there because there's no problems with my grandma and grandpa. But then my my dad's sisters come along again and they're like, oh, you can't be raising him like I've only got two fucking years to go. Leave me alone. And they're like, you can't be raising him, blah, 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 blah. And they're like, and then Ken and them, they're like, yeah, you should send him to the orange home. But this feeds into Ken's jailing Bradley. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. if he goes there, he's not going to be able to go and live the high school life I live. You know, he's going to have serious restrictions. So that's what they did. And that's eventually how I did end up out at the orange home is that finally I was going to grade 10 at my grandma and grandpa's and my two aunts didn't want me to live there. And so then I got sent out to Indian head and that's where we met questions friend. (laughs) (laughs) Well, was that, uh, was living at the orange home that it ended up being a good thing or or was it yes. shit show too? No, it was way better. Oh, way okay. better. Good, Fuck good. yeah. I love fucking Sonny and Edie. They took care of me, man. They loved me too, like a grandson. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I appealed to them. And, you know, I think they were like, this is a good kid that somebody has gone out of their way to fuck right up, you know? They gave me a little responsibility as I got older, you know, eventually my, my, uh, curfew got a little later, you know what I mean? And they're pretty, pretty good, pretty kind on me, you know, being out there was good. Like meeting you 
and 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 your crowd and then and then some of the other crowd was really good you know what i mean those are good people that wanted to feel happiness all the time you know what i mean it really made me feel good you know good and being able to come out there and play drums with some some people that were all into it and trying out new things and all that that really fucking made me feel great you know yeah they're 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 good dudes man i mean i don't really see them anymore either but yeah yeah, but i I mean when i look back at that time it's like fuck it all it was was just try to make each other laugh and fucking have a good time and yeah man yeah to enjoy it to the max in the time that we were in you know yeah like we were none of us were into doing anything too mischievous or anything like that you know yeah it was just great my real issues before i met candace was i like after i got out of high school um my mom abandoned me again and she fucking so she said she's divorcing ken so like if you think about when you're leaving the orange home you have to have a home to go to right because you have to take your stuff home right um but i didn't have that so i went to the place that had been my mom and my stepdad's home for the past 10 years and then i go and there's a letter with a bank card on the bed saying that um i'm leaving your stepdad and here's 700 bucks please go register for university and good luck you know and that is really what initiated my my just darkest depths into depravity you know and immediately i started selling drugs to survive right which meant that I just had an absolute abundance, absolute abundance at all times. So there was, you never had to wait for it or want for it, you know? And then um, part of the thing too was rejection by girls. So then I thought that having this and, and, and giving this stuff away to people will make them want me. And then maybe somebody will want me enough to have sex with me, you know, and that really was the wrong plan, you know, but really what happened was I just got continually more addicted. Um, So eventually I was selling ecstasy and I just got so addicted to ecstasy and just like wanting to have, it was like, it was like, I wanted to have a girlfriend but like the ecstasy was fucking up my life, you know, and I couldn't, I just couldn't get away from it. So basically from the time I was 17 till I was about 22, I was just totally going to raves. I was up every day, all night selling E and um, yeah. And then what happened was, one of my raver friends who was my best friend at the time, he was having some trouble cause he was dealing to other people and then his dealer was going to hurt him. So I took care of his debts and I started like telling him, listen, we're going to stop. We're going to quit. We're not going to do this anymore. So then we kind of like started quitting and we're drying up, 
you know what I mean? And it turned out that he kind of had to move back into his house with his mom and dad, but that didn't work out very well because they were really, really, really fucking hard on him. And so then there was this big rave that used to happen down there called connect that I'm sure you know about. Well, he says he's going to connect and I'm like, Steve, please don't go to connect, man. I'm like, you're not going to have a good time. Just, just stay in the city. He had a job and I had a job and we were trying to turn our lives around. And then I don't know. So this guy sells them all this acid, sells them 30 hits of acid, you know, and he goes to connect and he takes it all, you know, and he immediately starts thinking insane things like the devil is following me and all I can see is 666, 666 everywhere and all this crazy shit. And then he comes into the city and he comes to me with a friend of mine, Sarah, and he gives me a great big hug at my house. And he's like, I love you, man. I love you. Don't ever think nothing bad. I love you, man. And, and he's like, I'm, I'm seeing the devil everywhere. And, 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 and I'm like, no, Steve, I'm like, it's not real. I'm like, I'm like, you should, you should come back from connect. I'm like, don't, don't go back. And he's like, no, I got to go back. And he's like, I got more, more acid or whatever. And I was like, fuck. So then he goes back and then he comes and then connect ends. And then he goes home, gets a ride home. This is two days after I see him and he committed suicide. Fuck. And that was just like the absolute just drop for me. It just crushed me to no end. And then what I did was I went from being hooked on E to fucking smoking meth overnight. Cause I just couldn't handle it anymore, you know, and I didn't want to think anymore. Um, and my, then my best friend's dad, my other best friend's dad committed suicide a few months after that, but where we used to jam. So where my drum set and my, and my band was, was in his basement and then he committed suicide it was just fuck man and i just got harder and harder addicted to this shit finally i met this girl from germany and i was like i don't want to be this way anymore so i was able to quit slowly quit using meth and um and then i was able to get back into university and then i broke up with the german girl <laughs> and then i got back together with her again for a bit and then i broke up with her again and then i met my current wife <laughs> <laughs> we were drinking just a lot do you know what i mean like too much you know like it was it was it, it wasn't every day but it was three four times a week and you're always in that uh you, you can't, you're never going to start on any house project or anything you got because you're always hung over, you know, there's going to be something to do. Like we're going to go, I don't know, we're going to go drink here. Or we're going to, we're expecting to go drink here with these people. And then there with those people like, or the four seasons or sparkies or whatever, we always had plans, you know, and, and you're just like constantly smashed and not spending any money on the real things. And the, everything else is just deteriorating. Like mm -hmm. 
couldn't keep a car running you know what i mean for the life of us you know <laughs> fuck what led up to the explosion was that um we were pretty broke <laughs> so um it wasn't like what you think i wasn't i wasn't cooking math i was making honey oil but i wasn't making a little bit i was making <laughs> a lot of it at one time and um yeah, I was making about a between a half pound and a pound of oil at one time. So I was using about four or five or six entire cases of butane. And and the whole house was just was just fucked. Cases, and not bottles, cases. Cases, yeah, cases, man. So I had I oh, I had this I had about four pounds of really good ganja and I turned it all into oil and it was, it was doing well. And then my mom's boyfriend comes home and decides to make supper upstairs. And which when he turns the stove on, it causes a, a minor, um, because the fuse must've been worn out for the, it was, it must've been an old 40 amp fuse for the, for the oven. Right. And so when it would click on and off, it may have caused a little spark when it would click out. So when he turned it on, it, uh, it made a spark and that butane lit up like fucking like Christmas <laughs> wow. and it, it fucking blew the whole wall off the house, just clean, like from the nails, just whoop. <laughs> removal and uh it was like the air lit on fire is what it, the only way to describe it the air lit on fire and then you have um shell shock you have shell shock so then you can't hear anything and you're just kind of panicking and you don't know your but your body's like survival instinct is kicking in to get the fuck out of there and um then your other instinct is like, oh, you got to put out the fire and hide the stuff, you know? <laughs> so I tried to, I tried to put the fire out with the fire extinguisher. Didn't work. And then I go to run upstairs and my mom's boyfriend is like, the cats are trapped. The cats are trapped. So then I try to go rescue mom's cats where I get hit with a huge hot wave of smoke that just like melted my face. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then I went, um, running outside and my brother-in-law was there with me. Cause I'm a fucking idiot. Oh, I feel bad anyways. So I have to rip his clothes off cause his clothes are like melting. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So then we were like standing there fucking in our underwear in february in the snow outside of a house that doesn't have a wall and is smoking from the back and i just knew like wow this is fucking the end you know it was just the worst feeling of horror you could ever imagine and then so then i the only thing i remember is going into the um ambulance and then they gave me something that put me out right away and and um yeah and then i like woke up okay and then then what uh, i don't know about this but what happened was they took me to the hospital and then i was swelling really bad and they wanted to send me to edmonton but the planes 
couldn't take off because it was snowing so badly. So they had to cut all of my arms along the muscles to let the swelling swell and my arms butterflied open and so that my tendons wouldn't get stuck. And then finally it opened up on the next day and they sent me immediately to Edmonton and they got me in and then they started doing work on me doing skin grafts and and repairing my hands like my so i'm in a coma for like four months or not four months one month four weeks and it was confusing man like i didn't know where i was or what was happening and it it took there was like a number of days where i started to get it back like where i first i started to know who i am then i started to know who other people were and then but i never knew where i was and I didn't know what happened. Um, and then finally, I recognized Candace one day because Candace was there with me. It's your wife? That's my wife, man. I have a segment on the podcast called That's Somebody Special, a segment where we chat about who cooperated in your mental health journey and oh. helped fill your emotional tank brought to you by Co-op. Oh, my God. Speaking you need to know about Candace. she's the queen of hearts man so So she gets your shout out for uh the person that's been there for you (laughs) yes (laughs) my mom didn't even come down to see me so then i then finally recognize her and then um and then so then after about a week of me coming back to reality um then they had to see if they could get me to walk again right because i haven't moved in over a month and also they have cut my muscles open and they have skin grafted like my legs they skin grafted my calves and shit oh yeah so because it had nice skin very nice did you like it So then, uh, so then they skin grafted all my skin and they got all that done. And then they got me to start walking. And then in that time where I'm doing my first walks, I see myself for the first time Uh, and it was just absolutely fucking destructive. It just blew up my whole soul and mind just into a million little pieces because you're, you, you, what you looked like and what you, how you recognize yourself is totally different now. Yeah. So then, so then, then the years that followed were just horrifying. Like I just went through the absolute worst stages of the descent of insanity, like where, um, you know, we had to move back in with my mom and my mom was just making me feel terrible about what happened. And she's no longer with Ken. No, no. Cause she has this new guy because Ken left her for some Filipino that he had back in the Philippines for the past 10 years. And like he, nobody, everybody was telling her that and she wouldn't listen. She's, She's special. <laughs> Anyways, we decide we're going to move to Yorkton. 
so we move out to Yorkton for a year and then Candace, uh, we decide to have a baby and get married <laughs> all in the wake of the trauma. Probably the worst time to do all this, but we do it. <laughs> Fuck. So we got married first <laughs> and we got pregnant <laughs> because you can't do that wrong. Not in Saskatchewan. So, no. so, <laughs> So then, um, so then Petra is born, um, but we decide that we wanted to live like in Saskatoon, you know what I mean? So we're like, so we moved to Saskatoon and, um, we, she got a job and, um, just gradually we've been rebuilding life since then into something and we're, we're actually rebuilding life into something definitely more akin to a real life because of Petra. You know what I mean? We're not, we're not like having this, whatever kind of, you know, lackadaisical life. Everything is well structured now. And, you know, I'm not uh, rolling around with pounds of weed or nothing like that. <laughs> We've definitely tamed it down some, you know, for sure. I, I absolutely adore Petra. And I know, I know what my parents didn't give to me. Do right. you know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, I don't think it's that she needs, you know, more Nintendos or fucking trips to Disneyland. I know what the reality is. She needs hugs. She needs advice. She needs uh, parents that are present Right. You know what I mean? And that also can, that also is not strobed out because your parents can be present, but they can be strobed right the fuck out. And then you're, you're, you're robbing them of you, you know? Hmm. And I don't want to do that. You know, I want her, her life to just be enjoyable. And I want her to be at 18 to be able to take flight and, and not have clipped wings right from the beginning, you know? Cause it really like, it makes it so hard to like, you know what my personality is like, do you know yeah. what it's like for me working a regular job with people that don't know me? I, I know exactly. What the fuck is this guy? That's why I have a different job every two years or a year and a half. Oh man. You know, and just like, fuck. I like me. <laughs> <laughs> like, what's your problem? <laughs> I'm showing you my best me. Yeah. This is, yeah. I love being me every day like this. It's just unreal. <laughs> did, did your wife come from a somewhat more stable family than, say, you? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah of course oh, okay i made that uh i made that correction like right away <laughs> so i did have like i did have a few girlfriends you know what i mean mm -hmm. and uh yeah yeah you're like i want to be want the unstable one in the relationship <laughs> that's right that thing. there's not enough room for your complaints <laughs> <laughs> If anybody's going to do the wine and in this house, it's going to be me. Like, yeah, no, it's just like, if it just, if it, it has to be the kind of mindset you are, 
because you'll see that those those kinds of people actually are together you know what i mean but if either one of them has a mindset to be something else one day it ain't gonna work <laughs> um yeah but she's from like a nice a nice family like i mean they ended up divorcing and stuff but they're they're generally good good people you know not like not like my parents you know like they're pretty wholesome people so I, i'm still uh i mean I, I i understand that when people talk about trauma and shit they it can still be very you know triggering but oh, are, yeah. are, are you healthy like are you healthy yeah so yeah i'm generally i'm generally healthy the thing that my trick so far has been is just to make plenty of distance between me and them from now on it's like it's like my brother and sister are like alcoholics but they're alcoholics for um emotions positive emotions so why why think about yesterday's negative emotions always only think about the positive emotions you can create for yourself tomorrow are which, you an alcoholic of the past and the exactly. negative emotions? what's that are you, are you the alcoholic of the past and negative emotions though um yeah yeah i am the opposite that's right i i am a, a fiend on on everything that has created me and that is the worst that you can okay that is a way that Wait, so you are can, you healthy then <laughs> well uh, yeah somewhat <laughs> so what happens is you've been taught to oh long long past when you've been abused you're taught to you you've been taught to abuse yourself especially the stuff that happened in childhood so then what you'll do is you'll just continue to find people that are the same kind of people as the people that raised you in one degree or another, and you'll fall victim to the same kinds of patterns because if you don't have, if you don't learn, I have to have self-respect. It's, it's like once you learn this other, other a set of rules for living, you're able to, to throw some of those things away. But until then, you know, it's just like, you're like, I want my mom to love me. I want my brother and my sister to love me. I wish that I had that family that I never got to experience. The likelihood of what's going to happen is that you're just going to go further insane. They're, they're not going to see the, the thing that you think they're going to see. You know what I mean? They're going to just continue to be, they are the way they were trained to be, you know? Okay. So let me try so, to paraphrase it. Because not too long ago, you were just saying you love you and you like you and you think you're a good person and stuff. So it's not, it's not, it's not like you have self-confidence issues. It's more like rejection sensitivity issues. So you're, you, you feel like you always have to be accepted or you're always looking for, yeah. uh, um, yeah. Approval. Approval. Yeah. 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 But, yeah. but not from yourself. You've learned to love yourself, but you still have yeah. issues with what other people think of you. Yeah. And yeah. so you're trying to just cut those people out of your life because, well, like you kind of said it like an addiction. It's like you are addicted to trying to get their approval and you yes. finally realized, fuck it. I'm never going to get it. They're the ones that are yeah. fucked. And yeah. you, you've just accepted that. And now you're just moving on. I'm not smoking the same stuff as them no more. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
So, I mean, yeah, it's, I don't know if that means you're healthy I'm or not, not but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I just, I just overpay now, <laughs> <laughs> but, but the thing I worry about now is like in new relationships and things, are you still going to be looking for that approval from people or, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. Yes, absolutely. That's the thing you have to work on then. So since I started this job right away, I noticed like I, I seek the approval of people. I need them to like me. And the reason I need them to like me is because I, my, it's not because other people never liked me. I'm sure there are, but the real true reason is because my own parents and family never liked me and accepted me. Even when I run into people on the street today, everybody's like, Brad, what are you doing? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And even when I was at school in Indian head, I definitely didn't feel that anybody liked me. I always felt that people secretly hate me, you know, even if people were good to me, you know what we I did. mean? Yeah, we it, did. We would have the- town meetings. fuck the fat guy fuck the fat guy you guys would all just sit around there and eat the best stuff too right like lasagna and cake and shit and you're like that fat fuck can't eat none of this (laughs) so but when i was in indian head like one of the things i did feel for the like one of the very first times of my life i felt uh companionship I felt like you were likable right away. I mean, it was like, this guy's fucking nuts. This is awesome. (laughs) Woo. Let's have fun. (laughs) But it was, it was just like, I had never experienced warm people before. You know, my world had always just been so cold to me, you know, and fuck. And people were really into bad. (laughs) Like, what the fuck? Not like that anymore here. <laughs> I went from being a knob in the city to be like, no, man, that's cool out here, dude. <laughs> right on. This All the cool world. kids. All the cool kids are in band. Oh, yeah, for sure, brah. Hey, man, do you even play clarinet? No. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Brad, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, It was awesome catching up with you, and it was just really nice to have some laughs with you and to to hear your story and to appreciate exactly who you were in high school and not just the guy that we like to have fun with. So, yeah, I'm also really sorry that you had to go through all that stuff. So, uh, again, thank you. Uh, This week, I'm going to be releasing a bonus episode in the middle of the week with Ashley. She lost her brother to a drug overdose and she's going to tell her story and um kind of explain what happened to him and about her new group and her new foundation that she started to help people on the streets so that's amazing so stay tuned for all that Uh, i've got some really cool guests lined up again so i'm just really excited and i just want to say thank you so much to my friends aaron and taylor they joined the bunny hugs mental health team ish uh just uh they're just some really great energetic smart young people that are going to be helping me on the podcast here so that's amazing i need all the help i can get because uh i i don't know exactly what i'm doing all the time and i gotta tell you there's a lot to do if you're thinking about starting a podcast uh expect to do uh, a lot of work (laughs) anyway remember to follow me on instagram buddy hugs podcast also don't forget to please make your beds and take your meds bye